Welcome to the Writer's Block Party Podcast with your hosts Meredith Bond and Prue Warren, where they discuss every aspect of a writer's life, from the craft of writing and editing, through publishing and marketing, and finally into building a global publishing empire. Here is Mary and Prue. Hello, and welcome to the Writer's Block Party Podcast. I am Meredith Bond. I am here, as always, with my beautiful co-host. I'm Prue Warren. (laughs) Prue, today we are going to step back into editing for just a moment to talk about writing ticks. These are... We all have them. We all have these things that we just do with, without thought in our writing. And some of them are really annoying and some of them not quite so annoying. But they're things that we <laughs> need to look out for. Um, and pulling my piece of paper and you at least. I got a list. But the wonderful thing is that we all do them. I have a quote from Mark Twain that says, substitute damn every time you're inclined to write very, your editor will delete it and your writing will be just as it should be. Mark Twain, he had a writing very, tick. Very is on my list. Very is on my list. That's so fun. That's, that's great. That's yes. an awesome quote. I, I love that quote because it shows us that even a fantastic well-respected writer like Samuel Clemens had a writing tick, just like we all do. <laughs> and his style was so blissfully readable. I mean, his goal was to get you lost in the story. He was not about highfalutin language. He was about ease of slipping into the story, like into a warm bath. And if he had it, that's reassuring. Yeah, that's exactly. reassuring. It was on that's, his list, too. Yep. Mindy Klasky calls the the writer tick round, she calls it the flamethrower round. When oh. you're before you send it to your editor or whoever you send it to, you take a last brutal flamethrower to purge out the words that you just don't need. And I've been astonished to discover how many of them I use instinctively. So Yep. Absolutely. What's on your list, Mary? Uh, the word that. Oh, that's tops of my list. That's tops of my list. And you can't go through and do a universal delete because sometimes no. you need to that guy over there, not this guy over here. Exactly. You can't just go through. But if you say he told me that he went to the store, you don't need the that. Right. And I have gone through my manuscript and deleted literally, literally thousands of that's. (laughs) It's reassuring because it slips in without me even, it just without me even thinking about it. It's so, it's insidious. It's insidious. The other one, I'm sorry, can I interrupt your list? Yeah, please go. This is one that my editor, Matrice Sussi, gave me, which was, up and down in cases of sit down, 
stand up. Uh, Take them out. Yeah. I sat down. Is just as strong if you just say, I sat. Mm -hmm. So my list includes sit or sat. What comes next? If it's up, if it's down, no good. If you're sitting up, you can leave the up. But if you're sitting down, just say sit. (laughs) Sit, Sit and sat, followed by down, and stand and stood, followed by up. Just take out the down and the up. I thought that was a really good, just a really good example of how often I use words that aren't necessary. And I don't believe in spare writing. I don't believe that you have to. I don't I don't like the way Ernest Hemingway writes, frankly. I know that goes against the grain. But I don't like that kind of absolutely spare writing. I like a little a little frill, right? But when I can take out completely useless words, it's stronger. Things are stronger. It reads smoother. It does. It really does. Yeah. Okay. What's next on your list? Just. Because I just. Just. I'm marking I'm marking mine off as you as you do yours. So I she just read. smiled. No. She smiled. Yep. She just looked. No. no. She looked. I combine that with just a bit, just a little, just a lot. I have a bit, a little, and a lot on my list. And they often go with just, just a little. Mm-hmm. He gave me just a little smile. No, okay. he smiled. Yeah. You don't need all. It doesn't have to be just a little smile. So I'll add to just, I'll see your just and raise you a little, a bit, and a lot. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about? Oh, no, we already did very. Mark Twain said very. Yeah, Mark Twain said very. And that's an important one. I I really love a universal change to damned. That's such a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) It was a damn big car. (laughs) (laughs) Editor takes it out. And, you know, he was writing without the glory of of, uh, universal change, right? I know. With his his own hand and a pen, probably... (laughs) in a dipped in a in a pot of ink <laughs> was the ballpoint pen who knows i still have a few more on my list what do you got um i also use smiled a lot and laughed a lot and i am constantly constantly looking for other ways to say that and they're just no synonyms yeah. I mean, there yeah. is for laughed, I can say chuckled or grinned for smile, but grin is not a very pleasant thing to say. But I'm just, I'm always looking for synonyms of smiled and laughed. Because I just play I have, too much. Yep, 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 yep. Because it's very hard. You taught me early on about deep POV. And one of the things on my list is a deep POV thing. But the opportunity to make your your story stronger by not repeating words, it's worth looking at the number of times someone smiles or laughs just to see if you can't in some way convey the sense of happiness or acceptance or agreement without using those words. If you can, it's stronger. Yes, absolutely. So I, I agree with you. All right. Here's, here are... Here are two words. I get two. Here's a twofer. There are two words that are absolutely unnecessary. I mean, my God, when I took them out, 
you could almost do a universal change actually and really absolutely yes those two you can just take them out they're mm-hmm. not necessary yep and it surprises me because i believe i use both of those words when i speak and they never trip me up and it doesn't bother me with anybody else uses them but once i began to see it in my writing and realized that actually they don't make any difference at all really <laughs> it's kind of remarkable to see how much uh how much uh fat is on that steak right i mean some fat gives you flavor but too much fat just gives you the gross out you can trim this you can trim it and astonishingly make it better so and so i will i will yeah. meet your really and actually with a finally and suddenly you think finally and subtly can be correct to take it out too. You finally. certainly don't need suddenly. Rarely need finally. Oh, you've added to my list. I have to go through and do a little sandblasting, a little flame throwing of finally and suddenly. Yeah. Pardon me. I got to go now. <laughs> <laughs> I got some, got some books I need to edit. Well, that's outstanding. Finally and suddenly. All right. I'm putting them on my list. And, of course, there are the filter words, which you should not have in there. Saw, heard, felt, thought. Here, here's my list. And every time I come across these words now, because you taught me, I know that I can take every instance where these words show up, almost every instance. If I take my time, I can make every single sentence stronger and better if I filter them and these this is my list see seem seemed saw seen think thought feel felt mm-hmm. that's my that's that those are the that's ones a great I, list some people i've seen on other people's lists that they have here and heard yes um and there's another sensory one i've got see feel hear well, I don't think you'd have to screen out smell or touch. No. So you should be okay on that. But every time I have that, Meredith, and you are the one, it is an opportunity to draw the reader deeper into the, to the speaker's point of view. I can take the shortcut and, said, and say, he seemed angry. Or but I can a few minutes longer and say his brow was furled and his neck was hunched. He, he, he had an air of menace. I can say all of that. It is, does make it longer, but it also makes it more vivid and more fun. And it doesn't always have to be longer either. Sometimes you can shorten it and make it more vivid by taking it away from those filter words. Yes. So I'd like to thank you. If you Mm. ever, think that my book or my books have potential it's because in great part thanks to you for helping me with that deep pov opportunity (laughs) okay here's the last thing that's on my flamethrower list well there's stuff in the beginning passive voice yes was saying should become said or was standing becomes stood so i do an Endless. It takes forever. I search for the word was. 
and then look for the gerund after it. If I've got was going, was being, was saying, I have to see if I can't rewrite it. And after that's done, and it takes hours to go through an 80,000 word book and take out the word was wherever I can, I have to do it again for were. We're saying, we're standing, we're going. So why don't you just plus, yes. use the Hemingway app, which highlights the passive voice for you. Shut up. It takes it costs twenty dollars. You download it to your computer, cut and paste your I do a, a chapter at a time, and it highlights long sentences and it highlights passive voice and it I think it has one or two other things that it highlights for you in various colors. So that's pretty interesting. <laughs> okay, that's pretty interesting. Um and then you just you just toggle back and forth between what it's showing you and your actual manuscript mm-hmm. and make the change. Or you can make the change in in the app and then copy and paste back into your whole manuscript, but uh, it screws up formatting. And so I tend not to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of annoyed that it's called the Hemingway apps, having already made my position clear on the subject of Hemingway. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. But okay. Um, no, no and voices. there's another app. Actually, it's a uh, one it's, it's like pro writing aid or Grammarly that you can add to Microsoft Word, a plugin for Microsoft Word. It's called Smart Edit. And it will tell you about how many repetitive words you have, how many times you have the same, have a particular word in your document. That is interesting. Um, I think you are the one who pointed me to a website that would take your entire um, your entire manuscript and make a word cloud out of it, so you could see which words. Oh you? no, I didn't do that. That's a good idea. Um, I'll see if I can't find that because it was it was it was interesting. But I like the smart edit idea better. If I could have a list, then I can say, well, obviously, I need to say the heroine's name. You know. 4,000 times or whatever it is, but the just doesn't have to come up that often. All right. Well, I think that's, I think that's very fascinating. Yeah. And I think you can put in words like names for it to ignore. Oh, ignore. Yeah. Smart. So smart edit is a yearly subscription for $77. I'm just looking it up. Oh, wait, it's a one-off fee, not a yearly subscription. I beg your pardon. So um, you can buy it for $77. Do you use either of them? Or have you just trained yourself out of using the passive voice? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, before I forget, I want to say this is what I, this is, I, I wish I could remember who told me this because it was so clever. I think I heard it at the Romance Writers of America conference two years ago. Whoever it was who said it was brilliant. She said, Use the active voice. Use he stood under almost all circumstances and choose where to use the passive voice very carefully. The example she gave was so brilliant was when the government admits to a mistake, they don't ever say 
we made a mistake. What they say is mistakes were made. Exactly. And that is, that is a very different thing. So if you use the passive voice, use it knowingly, use it that cleverly. Mistakes were made. I don't know who I'm not associating myself with it. Mistakes were made. (laughs) Let it go. So use the passive voice thoughtfully. I'm sure Hemingway must have used it at some point. If I'd read more Hemingway, I probably know. But it was probably used deliberately. In all other respects, the passive voice simply clogs things up and is the arteriosclerosis of your novel circulatory system. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Okay, so Hemingway app and smart edits, one for 20 and one for $77. Uh, and and Meredith, you knew about these, and you are the expert. Which one do you use? Yes, both. Both. You use both. I use both because when I'm going through and I really, really want to clean up my document, then running it through the Hemingway app will clear out all of the passive voice, and using Smart Edit will help me with all of my repetitions. So that's pretty brilliant. All of my okay. garbage words. All right. All right. I love it. I love it. And I am prepared because as I get closer and closer to being done with the book and I love it more and more, and I'm, I'm really hopeful that uh, other people will love it. I really want to make it shine. I don't want to sell a dull silver candlestick. I want to polish it until it gleams so that you can't look away. So, right. okay. I have other things on my list that I do in the flamethrower round that are not um, word specific, but I'm going to tell you what they are anyway. So in case anybody else is making a list of flamethrower round edits in my flamethrower round, I also look at chapter endings to see if I can make the hook better. Yes, absolutely. You'd, you'd think I'd do that while I was writing it or during other editing rounds, but there's, I've been surprised to discover how often it, it's worth just a, just a look-see. It's worth just a last pass to see if I can't say the hero's name in the heroine's chapter or say the and vice versa, or in some way make you think, all right, I'm going to be late for work tomorrow. I'm just going to read the next, I'm just going to read one more chapter because I've got to find out what happens. So that's step one for me is make the chapter endings hookier. Mm-hmm. Um, then I go dredging for double spaces because even though I'm now committed to the single space after a period, Double spaces, I don't know where they come from. They crop up. But that's an easy search and replace. It is. It's an easy search and replace. But you have to write it on your list to actually do it. Mm -hmm. Um, The last thing on my list is commas. And I've written down, just give up on the commas. Let the editor do it. (laughs) (laughs) Just been having this wonderful editor I have, Matrice. She's so wonderful. And she said to me, If you have a phrase separated by and or but or whatever, two two sides of a phrase separated by and or but, if the subject is on the right, it needs a comma. If the subject is not on the right, you don't need a comma. So you say, I went to the store and I bought bread. Well, there's I to the right of the comma, to the right of the and. So you put it, I went to the store, comma, and I bought bread. But if you say, I went to the store and bought bread, there is no comma. And now that sounds simple. Well, it doesn't sound simple, but at least it sounds understandable. It's impossible. It's impossible 
I cannot do it. I was doing, I was trying before I sent my copy back to her. I said, I'm going to check for commas. And I didn't make it through the first chapter before going, I have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> so my flamethrower around should include commas. And I have given up. I have surrendered my comma authority. So that's all I have to say. That's the um, end of my list on my writer checklist. On my writer checklist, I also have two things that are not words. One is something that I know that I do, or rather I don't do. And I've gotten better over the years, but I still always have to check to make sure that I include the five senses and enough description. Because huh. huh. I will leave my reader in a black box. <laughs> I will start a scene with dialogue and I will have people talking and even doing stuff, but you don't know where they are. You have no idea. Are they in a drawing room? Are they in the kitchen? Are they standing outside? You do not know. But there is a danger to overlarding your story with, with detail. It is true. It is true. But at least the reader should have an idea where they are and, per, and a general description of where they are. Yeah, I like the idea of, of noting location. And then the five senses. And five senses. How, how thorough are you on making sure you get all five listed? Because I think two or three feels graceful, but five begins to feel like you're, you're stretching it. Well, you don't need five senses in every scene. But if in your description, it is appropriate, you know, they walked into the kitchen and the smell of bread baking was just overwhelming, you know things like that or Good. she leaned closer and could smell his aftershave okay okay or yeah kissed him and and tasted the wine and on his tongue uh, oh <laughs> good way to drink wine okay that's yeah. excellent all right so include the senses the location and enough description so that you don't leave the reader in a box in a black box i like that yeah. i like that okay good what's the other one and the other one is making sure that there's conflict in every scene. I every scene. Conflict in every scene. I had lunch with lovely Meg Napier, who is an author. Um, and she and I were talking yesterday about rules like there must be conflict in every scene and there must be, uh, there must be a, three-act structure and you must use the dot the w format do you honestly believe every scene has conflict i mean that's not that's not true you have to have some scenes where people are happy right what do you do yes. with your with your, with your romance yes. like, always i conflict. would say 95 percent of your scenes should have conflict 90 to 95 percent there are some scenes where you don't need conflict because it's just a mushy, gooey, wonderful scene where the two people gaze longingly into each other's eyes. However, most scenes need conflict. I am going to read critically over the next few weeks. I'm writing a lot of books at the moment, so I'm not reading a lot. But see, I think you're brilliant and I follow where you lead. 
And I, I, I have learned so much from you. But I want to challenge that. If this was a Scrabble game, I would challenge and say, I'm pulling out the dictionary. I think conflict in every scene would almost feel, um, I don't know, constipated. It would feel like you were f- attempting to force something that wasn't coming naturally. But it should come naturally because every scene should have its own goal, right? You have a uh, Yes. And so part of that goal, with the goal, there's going to be some pushback against the goal. And that's the conflict. Okay. All right. So in this case, can I change the word conflict to obstacle? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Because I conflict seems like too big a word. Okay. Yes, there is a obstacle. There is a tension in every scene. Goal, obstacle, tension, conflict. Goal, obstacle. Yeah, I agree. Okay. There has to be a reason for the scene to exist. Yes. If there is no reason for that scene to exist, it should be deleted, which is very painful at times. But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we call it character development you're painting you're painting a picture of the else now i know who you are mm, that scene can stay sure um <laughs> I, I i think i've mentioned it before that um author jt bach did a wonderful discussion for the washington romance writers on chekhov's gun which was a which was a, a concept that i had never understood before that if you have a gun in act one it has to go off at some point before the end of the play. Right. So this concept that that your setup has got to pay off is part, I think, of this conflict in every scene concept, because if you're just throwing something in as a writing exercise, you're sort of setting up a Chekhov's gun. You're sort of setting up, why are you telling me this? There has to be a reason that you're telling me this. And if it doesn't pay off, then I lose a little bit of trust in the author and in the story. So while I, while I would say that every scene doesn't have to have conflict, I would agree that there has to be a reason for every scene. And there has to be, um, there has to be a little rope ladder that you're climbing. You have to get to this stage before you can get to this stage. And there are no extraneous wrongs that don't go anywhere. So I'm, I'm with you on goal, obstacle, tension and, and conflict, but, but, uh, but I don't think I think conflict is the wrong word, and I'm sorry to have nitpicked you into agreeing with that's me. okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. I was thinking about um, uh, about writer ticks before you and I began talking about it, and m- the ones I could think of were all related to editing. Mm-hmm. But I was also thinking that there are writer ticks in other categories. And I was thinking there are the eccentricities of personality. Like I can't write if I'm not wearing my black socks, right. Or (laughs) I have to, I have to write in absolute silence in my garden room at midnight. Um, There are eccentricities of craft, which is where I think something like show don't tell comes in where people insist on uh, uh, overlarding description without showing you how someone is responding to it. They're just describing, right? So Mm -hmm. I think there are craft writer ticks. 
I'll bet you're a formatter by profession. You know, I can hire you to format my books. I bet there are formatting tips that drive you up the wall when you see it in other people's books. Is that right? Oh my God. If I could get everybody in the world, every author in the world to learn how to hit, how to create a page break, I would be the happiest person in the world. Many, many authors do not use the page break. They just keep hitting return until it gets to the next page. It's like, no, there's a button for that. (laughs) All right, it's two buttons. Control, enter. (laughs) Or if you're on a Mac, command, enter. (laughs) But they don't do it. They just hit return until the page scrolls down. Yes. I'm so proud I don't do that. Thank God for Scrivener. It does it for me. I write (laughs) Oh, that's brilliant. Okay, so there are formatting ticks that we can all be aware of. I know you've got other ones, don't you? Well, and the the dreaded two spaces, which is super easy to fix. They're just a search and replace. The other thing that you taught me when you were showing me how to format my book was that there are a whole bunch of hidden characters or symbols or commands in my documents that I don't know about and I can't see. Mm-hmm. And if I strip them out before I attempt to format it, you'll end up with right. Yeah, you'll end up with a with a, a much better formatted document. If you strip out all of the hidden codes in Microsoft garbage. Mm-hmm. I mean so the funny thing is is that you very weird. It makes the document to strip all that out makes the document look quite startling. When the first time you walked me through it, I was like, what the hell have you done to my book? <laughs> <laughs> but it was, you were right. It was beautiful when, I, when, when we were done. Yeah. yeah. So you strip out everything and then you put in just what you need. So you don't have any extraneous stuff that messes yeah. up your formatting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so often my computer does things that obviously make sense to it, but I have no idea why it does that, nor how I can control it. It's like you and me on on the Podbean uh, website going, I don't, why can't you see comments? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, the last two areas of writer ticks that I was thinking about, and I don't know enough about yet, are blurbs, writing your marketing blurbs, and also marketing in general. But I bet there are writer ticks in both of those categories that that would are like fingerprints for various authors. Huh. That's an interesting thought. I had not considered that. Well we have a lot of we have we have a lot of unknowns in the world of marketing because publishing is changing so unbelievably fast. It's very hard to know uh, not only what's working, but also who does what. It's very hard to identify those fingerprints in marketing. But I bet if we are more aware, we're going to say, you know, that author, I always see their ads on, mm-hmm. I wonder why. And sooner or later, you and I are going to come up with a, with a couple theories, and then we'll have to track down experts to tell us if we're right. <laughs> well, marketing. for some authors, Different places to run ads work better than others. Yeah, but my understanding is that it is inconsistent, that you can't always count. Yeah, it's um, true. It's right. true. Right. So, Which anyway, is why you have to fool around and, and 
try everything. Right. But I also think there's great value in fooling around out loud, right? Letting your author friends know, letting the author community know what you're doing. Because I think everybody, especially indie authors, although traditional authors have to do their own marketing too, I think everybody is wandering around going, what? What the hell? What happened? What happened there? So I just advocate for greater greater transparency in what people are trying. And in the months to come, I'm going to attempt to um, publish a book in September, a book in October, and a book in November. So uh, it's my intention to say, um, here's what here's what I'm doing. And then we can use it as a starting point for, for you and me to say, this might have been better if you'd done this, and for other people to chime in and say, let's try this. Because... God, it's confusing. I'd like to have a, I'd like to have a tick, a marketing tick of being better at marketing. Okay, let's do that. Let's do that. Good. <laughs> Meredith, next week you and I have, we're not quite sure if we're going to get what we want. We were, we've invited Jenny Kate to come back to talk to us about how to target your audience, which of course is going to be very interesting for me as I attempt to write three books in three months. Published three books in three months. But if Jenny cannot do it, then we're going to talk about um, putting your book on um, Kindle U or Kindle Unlimited or putting it wide. So right. that's that's our plan for next week. Yes. So hopefully Jenny will respond to our pleas <laughs> and <laughs> come on and, and talk to us about marketing about targeting your audience because finding your audience can be so tricky and you wouldn't think so, but indeed it can be really, you're not quite sure that you're doing it right. That you, you know where to find them, that you know, who's reading your books. I don't know. How do you know? How do you know? Because Amazon doesn't share that with us. So they, they know. Oh, of course they, they know. The bastards, they know. They've got it in their algorithms. <laughs> They're just not going to tell us. Right. But maybe Jenny knows. Maybe Jenny has sussed out the secret code, and slaughtered a chicken at midnight, and now she knows the answer. Maybe she'll tell us. Maybe she won't. Let <laughs> <laughs> um, next week be a surprise to you, darling listener. How we adore you. <laughs> um. We would love comments and we would like, even though I have a hard time accessing or commenting on comments. Um, so comment on, uh, on the writers block party podcast.com and rate us and tell your friends about us and love us. Join us on the discord server. Absolutely. And hopefully next week we will have a super fun announcement. We're looking into getting swag. <laughs> because we think that everybody needs a Writer's Block Party podcast insulated wine cup. <laughs> Can't live without it. Get it to me now. Or mug. But I think or a mug. wine cup would be would be fantastic. Oh, that's appropriate for a block party. Exactly. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> Meredith, you are, as usual, a font of wisdom, and I thank you very much for guiding me through the morass. 
Oh, Prue, I so appreciate your thoughts and your comments because you come up with some fantastic ideas. And I love it that you are challenging what I'm saying because (laughs) that's how we grow. That's how we think. That's how we learn through challenging. And I thank you for that. It's a mutual admiration society. I'm sure it's real fun for other people to listen to. We think we're awesome. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Clearly that's enough. We have to stop now. Let your husband do the outro. Bye, Mary. That's it for the Writer's Block Party this week. We don't want you getting so drunk on knowledge that you can't drive your laptop safely. But next week we'll be here before you know it, so check out the website at thewritersblockpartypodcast.com. One word. That's where you can find our archive of past podcasts and a place where you can get in touch with Mary and Prue or ask questions for the next podcast. Write with joy, friends, and see you next week. (laughs) 